they're out there. Uh... Yeah, this is pleasing to the eye, don't you say? Like this is pleasing to the eye. I mean, Yang Shao would like a bit of this, right? I mean, you know, yeah. There you go. It, well, there you go. It's it's better than Yang Chen Fu. There you go, right? I mean, you, I'm sure Yang Shao would like to have a bit of this. So, Joey, God, then what? What's the justification for the? Uh... If you don't mind me saying, the six pack's a bit high as well. It kind of almost goes up into the middle of your chest. <laughs> What's that? I know. That's what internal training does to you. Right. It's not a regular six pack, you see. So, is this a result of your internal training? Can you can you tell? Yeah, yeah. It's either it's either a result of your internal training or too much of that diet coke you're drinking, mate. One or the other. <laughs> Could be pizza too, apparently. <laughs> All right then. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> well, how is life, Joey? Life is good, man. Life is good. Been um been training hips actually. Yeah, I see. Been training hips and um yeah. Making I would like to think that I'm making some progress. <laughs> On the sanity front or <laughs> Oh, sanity front is like that's that's a lost course. I mean that, that ship has sailed. <laughs> okay. We won't worry about that then. We're just after internal skill, basically. <laughs> I mean, I've got to survive in some way, right? So you've been traveling all over the place, right? Where have you been since I last spoke to you? I don't know. When did we last speak? Jeez, I can't even remember, man. You did like a, a giant road trip visiting people, I think. You went all across Europe. Did, did, and, uh, yeah. maybe, maybe Canada, maybe America. I don't know. Where did you go? Did we speak... Ah, oh, yeah, we spoke before that, didn't we? Yeah, so I was, um, I was, I was, I was spending some time in Europe and Asia. So I spent some time uh, in the UK uh, with Rich Morley and uh, Susanto Das, and uh, doing some woo woo silat stuff. And um, then I was in uh, Barcelona, hanging out with some Chaga guys. Right. pretty awesome yeah and um then i was yeah then i was in kofu for like a month hanging out with adam and uh rob liberty oh yeah yeah rob liberty and, yeah i know who that is yeah yeah okay yes and um and then in the philippines training with my uh balintawak teacher right and and taiwan with richard huang so what what's with the what's with the salat the Filipino stuff and what have you? That's all new, right? Because I only ever know you doing Chinese arts, pretty much. No, no, I've been uh, <laughs> I've been I've been uh, dabbling in salat with uh, Guru Mao Morni, right? Okay, and a couple of other people for I don't know, like more than a, close to a decade now, I guess. But I mean, you know, not dabbling, not really training properly and doing anything, but dabbling. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, and. Um, so I met uh, I met John in uh, Marshall Camp early in the year. Yeah, and uh, he sold me on Balintowak. So I was, uh, and then I went to the Russian camp in the Philippines, which is like a Filipino martial arts gathering that they do every year. The, the Russian camp is that what it's called? Ah, uh, it's it's basically run by um, a couple of like a bunch of Russian guys. So. Um, Right. Or rather, it's actually a Russian house in the Philippines. Sorry, Alex would kill me if calling it Russian camp. No, it's a Russian house in the Philippines. Right. It's like, a, I thought it was a version of the Marshall camp, but only for Russian people. I thought it was as a... 
it's not only for Russian people, but there, there, there is an inspiring story about like male bonding by building a house in the jungle in the Philippines, and that's, I think that's kind of where the Russian house in the Philippines comes from. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, I was um, I was attending that, and um, so that introduced me to a fair few uh, Filipino martial arts legends, and um, and I went back to uh, train Balintawak with uh, Grandmaster Danny Casio and his son R.R. Casio. Right, okay, cool, yeah. So finally I'm part of the family now. And I was impressed. because you know, have to put up with me. I was impressed as well, your stamina. You got back from that trip, you landed. I mean, it's, that was a lot of flying you did. And then I saw you like an hour later in the gym or something crazy. You were posting already, like straight back in. You didn't come back and sleep or anything, no? Uh, no rest for the weekend, Matt. But but this this is the main thing I want to ask you about really is uh is your your gym stuff the thing that has given you this Adonis like physique <laughs> that, that we see right here. It's it's definitely the gym stuff for sure. Um, I mean, in the sense that uh, like I mean, it's all it's all like traditional Jiben Gong type stuff, right? Like it's I mean, it's not the what, it's the how really. I mean. No. Like my teacher Jimmy Hale, for example, um, he's been working with resistance like sort of since the day I met him, like since 2010 or whatever, right? So um, he has like stone locks and all kinds of resistance training gear in his living room. So okay. it's very much part of it's very much part of the development of the internal art, the way he works through things. Mm-hmm. So it's it's all Jimmy and Gong style stuff, really. Like it's um, very much internal training. So you have to um, explore it a bit with you. I've got a, a, a sort of number of questions I'd like to ask about it, if that's all right, just to sort of, because I, I know roughly what you do, but just to kind of introduce people a bit more detail to the way that you do your uh, strength training, if that's if that's okay. Yeah, sure. I mean, um, you sure I'm pretty enough to talk about this type of thing? Yeah, completely, yeah. I mean, with a man who's presented like so, Clearly, you know, the man to come to. Maybe that's the first way in. Maybe that's the first way in. Because um, I, I've seen some of the stuff you do, and it's impressive. And it, it clearly, the manipulation of your body, the way you're, you're using the, well, I'll let you explain it, but the insides of your body to essentially process the lifting, the weight, is clearly very good. And I've seen you do some stuff that produces a lot of power. But clearly, and no offense intended, is it doesn't change your body in the standard way that somebody would that was using the gym, right? <laughs> what, what do you mean? What, look at this beauty right here. What are you talking about? <laughs> uh, but, well, anything I say beyond this point is undiplomatic. So I'll, <laughs> I'll let you explore it. Is that, I just realized you're vaping, aren't you? What are you doing? Is that vaping? Oh yeah, I stole Jay's vape. So. Come on, you can't vape, Joey. That's that's terrible. Smoke a real cigar. Get in trouble. I mean, I mean, so it's horrible. Like I mean, I know it's horrible, but it has its advantages. So I've never vaped. I don't know. It's, well, it's I presume vape is from vapor. It's like water vapor you're inhaling, is it? It's not. It's some glycerol shit that really fucks up your lungs. I <laughs> I don't recommend it to anybody really. <laughs> no, that's... and and and. and. It has a massive negative impact on your testosterone production too, by the way. Oh, really? 
Yeah, exactly. So you're not using this to help with your your gym practice then? Absolutely not. This is um, this is more of a getting in the character, you know, like I'm a method actor, you see. <laughs> right. Well, maybe before we explore the external stuff, well, explore the sorry, not the external, the the the, the strengthening. Maybe tell us what do you mean by getting in character? What what is this? Who is this character that we're looking at here? The, sort of. Well, I I kind of model myself after a sexually liberated woman who walks the streets, you know, to dazzle the world. Right. And uh, my dietary habits and uh, my little vices. Right. You know, I mean, I don't think you can see the needle marks on my, <laughs> yeah, I don't think you can see the needle marks, but. So what? And, and, and the motivation behind all this is that uh, some Chinese sages have recently proclaimed that Yang Xiaohao didn't want to teach anyone displeasing to the eye. Right. So I'm trying to be more pleasing to the eye. I, I in see. the hope that I can pick up a skill or two here and there. So this is this is almost this is a protest against Yang Xiaohao's uh, uh, teaching student choosing protocols. Well, apparently, funny, funny that apparently one of my friends who actually reads Chinese, which I don't, right. told me that um, it actually translates as um, someone that you don't like, not not pleasing to the eye. Right. Okay. Right. So, but I mean, I just I think it's just that some translators, if anything is not a sex doll, it's not pleasing to their eyes. So they kind of translated and misquoted Yang Xiaohao as they seem to misquote many things. So, okay. you know, it is what it is. So I guess to put this into context for people watching this who won't know what this is about, I'm, Joe, Joey is referring to, I assume, there's a there's a quote by Yang Xiaohao that is translated as uh, something like, don't take students that aren't pleasing to the eye. Is that That's right. That's the quote, isn't it? Yeah, that's correct. But it actually means don't, I don't know, trust your instincts to not teach someone who seems off? Is that what it's referring to? Don't teach basically. You know, that's, I think that's kind of what it boils down to, really. Don't teach, don't teach degenerates, I suppose, is the... Exactly. Right, okay. But interestingly, apparently, Chen Wei Ming said that you shouldn't teach anyone who don't pay tuition either. So. Uh, who doesn't what, sorry? Who doesn't? Apparently, Ken Wei Ming said, "Don't teach anyone who who, who doesn't pay tuition either." Doesn't pay tuition. <laughs> it's a very important <laughs> Taiji uh, classical it's rule. A, it's a very important thing, apparently. So uh, that was also shared by this same sage as well. So I'm guessing that's equally important. So um, I was okay. trying to basically find a sack of cash and just you know make it rain, but um, I don't have a sack of cash at the moment. So <laughs> Australia is very anti-cash these days. Oh yeah, yeah, it's digital country, right? Prison planet. <laughs> yeah, sure. So, <laughs> I guess <laughs> there's a few things that you're protesting in the Tai Chi world right now, or at least in the, I guess, kind of Western Tai Chi community. It's probably fair to say. So I don't know. I I don't really call it a protest as much as fundamentally, I don't give a shit, right? Uh, well, but, uh, one of your most I, endearing qualities, I think, actually. So, you know, it's it's kind of, um, I'd like to think of it as like, you know, I can either be depressed about it or just laugh about it and take the piss. So I take the latter approach. <laughs> okay, sure. Yeah, no, I get it. So what um, what do you think then in general? What do you think? We'll, we'll leave the uh, 
I guess Gong Li, I suppose we could call it for the time being. We'll leave the the strength training if that's what you know. Maybe you have a different term for it, but maybe then. Uh, so what what do you what is the state of the Western Tai Chi world right now, in your opinion, Joey? Since um, really I don't feel strongly enough about it to be stood there in um in a man bra, <laughs> vaping away with your six pack out. Beautiful. It makes me look beautiful. It, it accentuates all my features. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know if the Tai Chi scene today is any different from what it has always been in the sense that um, I don't think the highest level Tai Chi skills were ever all that common. No. Yeah. And, um, and I think that, you know, <laughs> just like today, a lot of people used to bitch a lot, makeup shit and all these things, right? You look at the quality of the things that have been published and all the things that were going on, you know, you can kind of infer that like uh, it was a smaller, less voluminous version of what's happening today, right? Yeah, sure. So I think it's just that more people and more agendas involved today by the sheer number of people who claim to be doing it rather than uh, back in the day with a much smaller number, obviously. See, Dr. Dre agrees, right? He's yeah. like, yeah, maybe that's right. That's my man. That's my boy. Yeah, I got it. So, um, right on, Dre. You got it, man. So, um, Dr. Dre is his basically, cat, he hasn't got Dr. Dre tied up in a chair off the camera. Which, which <laughs> or do I now? <laughs> so, um, so yeah, like, um, generally, I mean, I see two camps, right? So, there's the one camp that want to believe, right? In the sense that, you know, like, all the, you know, find the sky, airy fairy hippies who just want to believe, right? That's that aspect of it. And these guys don't want to lift a finger, right? Yeah. And I mean, there's certainly that crowd mm-hmm. who, you know, who eventually talk about like quantum healing and, you know, like magic hands and all that stuff, right? Yeah. And um, then you have the other one third, maybe a little less, who are obsessed about basically beating people up. <laughs> for the lack of a better word. Or at least some way they want to feel physically powerful. So they create this delusion that, you know, internal martial arts are just about basically running around, you know, banging your head on everything. And just, you know, it's like they, they basically think it's just another form of just mindless doing, you know? Oh, yeah. And, and well, the funny thing is that those people seem to practice, seem to practice a bit more than the, <laughs> the previous group, who seem to be more practicing more about arguing online than the other way around, right? So, yeah. So at least the ones who you know want to go around and just sort of build power in a conventional way or whatever, at least they're training hard. You're implying, right? That's right. I mean, at least or they're something. training, whereas a lot of the philosopher crowd or want to believe crowd. Yes, tend to ruminate most of the time than doing anything else. It seems right, and at the intersection of these two things, I think is where the real practice happens, where people are obviously mindful about what the hell they're doing, but also they're not shy to train. Right, okay. and within this small group, I think is where all the progress is happening because. The haters on the physical side, you know, you see them like after 15 years, they're still basically running around the same circle. Whereas, you know, the want to believe crowd, 
they are on the same circle too, perhaps loading, not running, you know, <laughs> that's the only difference. <laughs> yeah, so, sure. um, so then, you know, then you have all these people who basically want to define these arts based on their level of incompetence for monetary reasons or fame, you know, feeling secure, I don't know, whatever that may be, right? I mean, whatever the broken piece that they want to fix, right? Sure, yeah. So, which is fine. I mean, they're all human, right? We're all human. But the issue that I have is that I owe it to the ancestors who developed and advanced these arts, and literally, right, during the Cultural Revolution and all these things, right? I mean, they went through blood, sweat, and tears to preserve these things for us, right? And so we have some obligation. I have an obligation to my teachers and their teachers going up the generations and, you know, the Chinese culture in general, because it was the Chinese culture through thousands of years of development that gave rise to these ways of worldviews and these arts as its culmination, right? Yeah. So I think I owe it to that heritage to actually at least try to preserve some of this for the future, right? Sure. And the problem is that, like this is a conversation that Adam and I have had many times. So one of the key differences today is that people basically equate the availability of information to accessibility of knowledge. They're not the same thing though. That's the thing. Like a lot of, there's a lot of information, but a lot of it isn't noise a lot of it is deliberate misinformation you, you think deliberate, so, not accidental a lot of it is deliberate misinformation because a lot of these teachers they make shit up mm-hmm. to justify their incompetence or their ignorance or their lack of knowledge right oh i get it right so, so not deliberate in, in okay i understand so it's not deliberate misinformation to deliberately fool people away from the real stuff but deliberate misinformation as in the person who made it up knew they made it up and it wasn't true a lot of it is that. I is mean, that back in the day, yeah. Back in the day, there seemed to have been more deliberate misinformation of the kind you're talking about. Yeah. Because you know they didn't want their bread and butter to be like spread around and just you know break their rice bowl, right? Sure, sure. But today, it's like a more of a voyeuristic and um, exhibitionist culture where they want to put stuff out there to look important, but what they're putting out is misinformation and noise that justifies their incompetence, right? Right Now, the problem is that if the information wasn't available, people will keep seeking it. Yeah. And hopefully, eventually at some point, they will get around to a genuine source, right? But the, uh, but the problem right now is that there's so much noise and misinformation out there that when people hear these things or see these things, they believe that's the truth. They believe that's what it's about. Because that's how it's presented, right? This is my lineage transmission, not something that I wrote, I, I wrote on the back of my toilet paper when sitting in the throne in the morning, right? So, yes. But a lot of it is, right? So, um, so what happens is that people come across this information and they believe that they have the real thing and um, they stop looking, right? So, there's like decades down the tubes, you know, chasing windmills. Sure, okay. And I think 
And I think that that's a horrible thing to do to people to basically let like basically get people or seduce people or coerce people or deceive people to put decades of their attention and practice and diligence down the tubes, right? Mm -hmm. Just so that you can get a bit more money or you can feel good about yourself. Sure. Okay. I think that's a horrible thing to do. Because I... at the end of the day in life, right? Yeah. All we have is time and we have so little of it. You know what I mean? So I'm not a huge fan of wasting other people's time. I, I get it. So I actually with with what you're saying there, the way you're describing um I guess deliberate errors, as you say it, like the way the way you're using it there, I can definitely see parallels in the world that I'm more familiar with, which is the Qigong or Nagong world for sure. But maybe um <laughs> without making it personal or or whatever, maybe you could give an example of something in the Tai Chi world that you feel is it easy to do that off the top of your head or would you have to think about it? I mean, yeah, like because like pretty much everything is that, right? Oh, I right. mean, you know, like... Fair enough. So, like a very simple thing that is often translated as, you know, like um, raise the back and hold the chest or empty the chest, right? Can like, you this is, raise the back and hold up the... I mean, when you translate it as raise the back and hold up the chest, right? Oh, Which sure. is a statement. Like, I think it's one of the points that Yang Cheng Fu published sure. right and um i mean this is a very important part of the internal practice especially how it relates to the spiritual aspect of the art right okay and this is like a physical side effect of connecting with some of the higher things and you know like basically for example it's about raising the spirit and all this other stuff right yes so it is a very very important thing and the problem is that when you basically reduce it to all these like physical things like curving your sure. chest like this or like trying to raise your back like this and like puff up like a cobra, right? All these things are very physical. Yeah, apparently. Right. Because, you know, because most people push linearly. So yeah. if you push linearly and curve the back, right? There's a, there's a lateral movement as well and power at the same time. So it makes the average numpty have a bit of a hard time dealing with the push. Because so, you turn so a This is being pushed as the authentic method yeah. because it works on numpties, right? So they, what they do is that they basically try to do like, you know, like engulfing right. you with cheese, right? Okay. And, sure. um, now the problem with this is that the way they pull the spine up or try to pull the spine up, yeah, like a lot of cheese being raised up here, right, making the people anxious as fuck. And if it goes to the head, you know what's gonna happen, right? Nothing. So good. it's a horrible thing. And you know, like when you do that, also you meet got someone who can put a bit of force onto you, and it's not a numpty, like your mingmen is gonna get locked, right? And you're gonna have problems. Sure. So these things are not only like time waste they're actually quite dangerous right okay yeah but, but they, yeah go on sorry sorry go on but they do produce quick results right but they will within so, a very, i guess they will within a very set selection of parameters i suppose like a very if two people are doing a very set pattern with each other they can do something right well i mean if they're working on a very set pattern they can safely do it right yeah because you're not getting in the way of each other or I mean, you're basically repeating the same thing, right? Yeah. So, 
I mean, it's crazy, right? Like, so for example, right, without naming names, you know, because you're more polite than I am. Um, <laughs> sure. Say that you had a workshop, right? And you want to, you know. Should I, tell, should I tell you why I'm more polite before before we go on, Joey? I'll tell you why. <laughs> I don't mind what people say, but every time um, I've had somebody on these podcasts and I've been chatting with them, whatever they've said, I've got the blame for. It's unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, I, there was one podcast today, bro. Right? Need your bad influence because because you reach out to me through your astral body in the etheric realm and compelled right. me to wear this for you. I did. So it is your subconscious desire that is wanting me to dress like this. It was. It, it, it was. It was a very strong desire. I was completely unconscious of, but now it's presented before me. <laughs> there you go. Well, now, you know what they say, right? You know, you make your bed, you lay on it. So now you had to put up with the repercussions of your desire. I, it's, I'm getting used to it now. It'd be weird seeing you any other way, to be honest. I hope this is going to be oh, a comfortable. Fair enough. <laughs> I'll have to disappoint you next time because this is uncomfortable as fuck, you know? But anyway. There was one podcast that was, that was like two hours, and all I did was sit there and listen to somebody share their views on, on Buddhism, on a, on a topic I didn't know about, a particular branch of Buddhism, and the amount of abuse I got afterwards for my views on Buddhism. Like, hang on a minute, look which one of us is talking. So that I got to be, I've realized I'm tarred with the same brush, Joey. So now they're going to call me um, um, a drag queen who vapes. And, uh, <laughs> hey, maybe you're sleeping. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so, yeah, anyway, but um, I can't even forget what we're talking about. Oh, I'm um, sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, um, set yeah, parameters. Fine, so, anyway, uh, like, say, for example, uh, if I did a workshop, right? Yes. And if I wanted to impress some numpties. Yes. Right. And if I basically progressively, progressively drove them towards become presenting me a very strict structure like this, right? Yeah. To hold me up, right? Yeah. And then I put and I put my hands on it, on on them, and teach other people to expand their back like a cobra, so they can move people around, like you know, the yeah. sexy body and everything, right? Yes. Like it works, right? It, it's like it's a very seductive cooperative environment. Mm-hmm. where people who have had decades of practice without any results can very easily fall into that seductive trap of a, you know, it's like an old, you know, sleazy old car salesman tactic, right? Sure. So, you know, half a day workshop, people are coming around, like, you know, floating people, throwing people, you know, everyone's yeah. happy, sure. except it's completely not a bullshit, right? Sure, especially oh. because I guess it, even if even if you were going to base your skill on that, even if you could, say you could refine that to a very high level, because it's not actually based on anything internal at all, really. It's just going to glass ceiling very soon, isn't it, with regards to its growth? Absolutely. I mean, all you're doing is that you're basically using the extensors on your back mm. a little bit more mm-hmm. than the average person and the conditioning that you're conditioned into as a part of the training and learning yes. that makes you stiffen your yaw, right? And stiffen your abdomen, like, like basically you hold it up like this, right? Yeah. That creates the condition for it to actually work. Sure. Right? So it's, it's crazy that all these people can't see it. Sure. It's basically what they're training is creating the condition that is fertile for it to work on you, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, zero problems with collective delusion, but there's two things, right? The first thing is that if they go and do that against someone who can put some weight on them, like, or put some force on them, like a good wrestler, right? Or a judo guy or something like that, right? They're going to be in trouble. Like, they're going to get hurt, right? 
And the other thing is that all the energetic things that it's doing in your body, like constantly being like this, right? Like this and all the things being stuck up here. And like, it's, you do it long enough, it's going to end up making you like a dickhead, basically, right? You, you and, mean your character. Yeah, because these things, this thing, right? These practices, I mean, you know, people think that they're transformative in a positive sense, but they're also transformative in a negative sense. Like, if you do it wrong, it can seriously screw you up, right? Like, it, it's like all the Qigong deviation stuff, right? I mean, it's not too far off, really. No, yeah, I get it, yeah. So, there's that aspect on top of selling the art and destroying it for the future generations by defining it to be bullshit. Okay. And uh, and this is where the problem is, really. So, maybe, maybe you should... Uh... Maybe you could define for us your understanding of uh, raising the back and an empty in the chest, as, as you see it. Because I presume it's a thing that happens in, there can be various stages of understanding, I guess. But how, how would you understand it where you are right now? Well, there's a thing, right? I mean, there's throughout, through the different stages of development, as you keep defining your jungling or essential equilibrium and your swinging formula, right? As you go on doing it, refine it, it changes a lot, right? You you know but I can pull you up on those terms in a minute though, and, and I need you to define those <laughs> ones as well, because there's lots of people who watch this, and not all of them are 100 percent familiar with the way that Jongding would be defined. So be careful of your terms. Again, you well, that's, I mean, again, I think, right? Like I mean, that's a lot of authentic traditions who define Jongding in slightly different ways, mm -hmm. but fundamentally they are all aspects or facets of the same phenomenon, right? So. Which is not a problem, right? I mean, you know, you look at an elephant from any facet, it's still an elephant, right? Which is, which is okay. Yeah. But then when you go and then when you go and try to take a dead mouse and pretend it's an elephant, yeah, that's when the problem starts, right? Yeah. But uh, but anyway, so um, so there's there's a lot of different stages that you go through, but fundamentally, from an energetic point of view, that whatever the changes that happen in your thoracic spine and your upper spine, right? And the orientation of your head, you know, the occiput and all the other stuff, right? And in the, the, the thoracic cavity itself, right? There should all be results of the process of purifying or raising the spirit. Yeah. And that relationship of that process to you know the crown, right? Which is not really the physical crown per se, but you know that process, right? So if you're doing anything that cuts you off from that process, right, that oh. defeats the purpose entirely. Right. So contriving a, a you're saying basically a contriving a raising of the spine and a hollowing of the chest by curving and spreading the upper back sort of forcefully is going to actually prevent you from being able to raise the energy to the crown, the spirit to the crown in the right way. Exactly. Okay. And doesn't matter which stage of it you're in and what physical manifestation, for the lack of a better word, of it that you're going to experience, but it should not be contrived. It should be resultant aspect of the fundamental underlying thing that is happening, which is basically raising a spirit, right? Mm -hmm. So, but but once you, when, when it gets reduced to some kind of like you know acrobatics of the upper body that cool. prevent like you know you end up going like this right like <laughs> right? you end up doing that right 
then you basically cut yourself off from any progress you're going to have in this art. Sure. Because you're not cut off from being able to do anything with your spirit. Okay, cool. So so maybe then, maybe the issue would be then that, that maybe teachers that are doing that or, or practitioners that are doing it, just thinking, don't don't even believe that refinement of spirit is a, is a possible thing or an actual thing. Well, I mean, you know, if they're defining it by their level of incompetence, you look at their characters, I mean, you can clearly see that there's no refining of the spirit involved. So, you know, like, I mean, you put two and two together, you know, it's pretty easy to figure out, you know, what's going on, right? You you mean sort of moral character of the person and things like this, or? Well, how they interact with the world and life that animates around them, right? Like, you know, you basically can very easily see, like, you know, if you're running around lying and, you know, slandering people behind their backs. Sure. And you know, engaging in sexual misconduct and that compulsion to not be able to control yourself, right? Sure. Yeah. Compulsion to well, I mean, if I say this, a lot of a lot of teachers are gonna hate me because apparently it's very prevalent in this world. What is but so... you know, if you go and like, you know, if you go and try to sexually exploit your students, for example, right? right? Yeah. Clearly not a sign of raising the spirit. Sure. Okay. Yep. The point is driven home extra hard when you're 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 stood there. <laughs> Present but, I, I mean, but I, feel... I, mean, I can't I, I can't compete with D for the sex doll, so what can I do? <laughs> I feel so exploited right? just chatting with you, mate. <laughs> just it is your unconscious desire manifesting all this. Well, in which case, I need to raise my spirit. <laughs> yes. I need to raise it. So we'll go back to Zhong Ding. There's an important one. By, by the way, uh, before, yeah. before we move on, um, yeah. if you want to raise your spirit, make sure you pay your tuition. <laughs> I will do. I think over the years, I've paid a lot of tuition, so I, sh I should be okay. <laughs> I bet I've paid more tuition than the vast majority of people. So yeah, totally. I should be fine. <laughs> so I'm going to take you back to Zhong Ding. Because, Joey, you yeah. have this habit. You have this habit. I have to pull you up on it. My job is to pull you up on such things. Is I've, I've read a lot of your posts, and I've chatted with you, and I've seen things you've written, and, and seen your um, videos on YouTube as well, which do have an excellent intro that has become something that means I can't watch your videos before I get to sleep because that fucking song gets stuck in my head while I'm trying to doze off. So I, have to, I can't watch anything of yours for at least two to three <laughs> hours before I sleep. Who is it? Is it? I don't even know who sings that. Is it Missy Elliott or somebody? Actually, no, Missy Elliott, actually. I think it's that, but it fucking sucks. But anyway, I, I watched. I watched. You the know how that came about, right? Like basically, I, I was um, I recorded a bit of form in Mexico. Like I don't know, like. Yep. I think it was earlier this year, or like maybe it was last year, right? Well, I think it was earlier this year, like at Jay's brother's wedding. I just was doing something on the beach, and I was just, you know going through like whatever that came up and that music was suggested and I went with it and everyone was, everyone was commenting about it. I'm like, okay, fine, you know, you know, walks popular, walks die, right? I mean, you know, <laughs> voice of people, voice of God. There you go. I'd rather listen to that than Chinese flute, to be honest, I suppose. <laughs> but I've, I've seen you mention it and I've seen you discussing principles and there's very rarely anything that um, A, I would either disagree with, definitely not. And, and sometimes you speak about things that are beyond my understanding anyway. So my logic is when you speak about it and it's out of my realm of experience, um, but I think, well, everything else I agree with. So therefore there's a validity to what you're doing. I think that gives it an authenticity to your, your practice and your practice is 
I think to people who have the eyes to see is actually is is pretty impressive. The work you're doing inside and the way you you move it and everything, but you do use terms that hardly anyone understands, <laughs> and you talk about them as if people understand. And uh, there's a few of them, and and as and I already know what your definition is of Jongding, but I, I think I would be remiss if I didn't get you to explain it from your point of view, simply because it's kind of fundamental to Tai Chi, right? It is. And um, and I fully agree I do that. And this is why I don't get the ladies. You know, so. it's, it's, a, it's a long-standing problem, right? I mean, You've got if a I did get the ladies, I'd be having Lisi children all around the town, right? We so don't get the ladies. You have people. got a lady. <laughs> I know, that's right, that's the one, right? I don't have illicit children all around the town, but apparently my manhood is not good enough for that. So there you go, you know? Right. But it might not be the manhood, it might just be my the way I talk, the way I explain things. You know? You're not a high-value male enough, that's the problem. Well, that's the problem. I mean, I keep trying to say, like, nice shoes, wanna fuck, but that doesn't really go anywhere. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> Never mind, so what? Maybe if you explain Zhong Ding, it'll, it'll uh, increase your, what's the phrase? Depressed ladies. Sexual any, market, sexual marketplace value. Okay. Any impressing of the ladies that's going to happen is going to be a side effect. So it's not the intention. I'm just like putting it out there, right? Is Jay there? So, is uh, yeah, Jay's there. All oh, right. Okay. Say hello. Oh, she can hear me. Hello. She was giving me fashion tips. Right. Okay. She was telling me that I should accentuate my nipples. So there you go. You know? I, I hope you use some ice cubes. Yeah. <laughs> No, it's pretty cool enough here at the moment, so... Okay. It's, it's, so, it. natural. Jong Ding, it's so natural. Jong Ding. Jong Ding. <laughs> I can't end the um, conversation on your nipples, Joey. It's indecent. So, in a nutshell, right? Yeah. In a nutshell. Jong Ding would be the target state that okay. you're striving to achieve or maintain mm -hmm. by letting go. Surrendering, offering, all that other stuff, right? It's as simple as that. So Jungding is the common set of conditions that exist throughout your entire operation as a Tai Chi animal or Tai Chi creature. Right. Okay. So those are the things that, that is the thing that does not change. Those are the relationships that stay related. Yeah. Right. I mean, they, they are variable, malleable, but they stay related. So and a better word that I like to use is the harmonies, right? It's a collection yeah. of harmonies that remain harmonized throughout your entire operation of a, a Taiji creature at the level you're working on, right? Okay, yeah. The refinement of this is the entire art. So and can, the way you, you refine this yes. is by letting go further and further and surrendering more and more and more using the prescription that is prescribed to you, right? Because, so this is something that means a lot in bodywork as well, right? Now, oftentimes we say let go, we say release, right? But you don't know what target configuration you're supposed to get to. Like if you let go, you know, I'll basically inject some GHB and like, you know, go on the ground like a sack of potatoes and stay there in a puddle, right? Sure. So there has to be something that we're maintaining that allows us to maintain posture, balance, and generate power in the right way. Mm -hmm. There has to be some relationships in the body that stay active and alive as we constantly let go, right? 
And these are the qualities you're harmonizing, right? That's right. And Jungding is that collection of qualities that you're harmonizing that remains while you let go everything else. Sure. That makes now, sense. Now, depending on the particular physical method, at whatever stage you're working on, right, and your mental proclivities and your mental transformation, raising of the spirit and all this other stuff, it changes over time. But functionally, the architecture of it, the place of it in the overall picture is still the same. Sure. Now, some traditions like to have this idea of the central channel or the central line or whatever it might be, right? Mm -hmm. It is not wrong, right? At that level, it is not wrong, right? And at a higher level, there is something beyond Jungling, which is more of a spiritual harmony which you offer yourself to and become a part of, right? That pervades your entire existence, right? I think it's I think it's called Zhongji or Zhonghe or something like that, right? Yep. So Zhongding, like some traditions make that differentiation. Like there's Zhongding, which is a bit more physical, and then there's all the spiritual stuff with the Zhongji, right? So all these things do exist, but fundamentally it is that thing that remains as you let go of everything else. It's your cat. Talk to Drew. Yeah, you Oh, I think you might get a good vantage point, but uh, <laughs> he might profess by giving you, you know. Honey, <laughs> honey. Yeah. You got to go. Come here. All right, Dr. Ray. So maybe... Say again? Apparently, even serial killers love their pets. Who does? Apparently, even serial killers are known to love their pets. Right. Okay. That's very reassuring. <laughs> so um, I have to train him Kung Fu because like, you know, some of my haters might come after him, you know, like hurt something I love kind of thing. Right. Okay. Sure. I'm sure. This is kind of the, this is kind of the excuse that I use with Jay so that she'll be motivated to train. Right. <laughs> it's okay. Well, make it existential, you know? Yes. What, 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 uh, what, what does Jay make of your look? Um, Jay was a consultant on this look, right? So okay. she was, she was, she was, she was uh, she's the one who came up with like hairpins, beautiful. I couldn't see that you've got hairpins in, I didn't know. Yeah, got a bling, bling, hair, hair right. here, like you know, beautiful, yep. like diamonds in the sky kind of thing. Okay, cool. Well, if and, I, uh, next time I'll come in drag, but next time I chat with yeah, you, yeah. so it's bad, yeah. Um, so basically, she was trying to get this, like you know, sort of like a blingy earrings because she thought they would be plain. My Buddha okay. ears, yellows, they're not really doing the job. So, uh, unfortunately, <laughs> I don't have piercing. So, yes. you know, it kind of sucks. But for next time. Uh, <laughs> is this, is this what you guys people. do in the evening? Is this how you entertain yourselves at night, you guys? No, no. This is the first time, actually. And I think we right. might get into it, really. Okay. I mean, look at this. I, I can see the appeal. I can. So, maybe give us some examples of things that harmonize then, mate. What, what are the harmony? Because what are the parameters that must stay in place when you release? If you are new, say you're new, you're a beginner, not uh, not at the level of harmonizing with the divine. So, you know, if you're a beginner, right? Yeah. So there are two ways to go about, there are two ways to go about this, right? Yeah. So some approach it from a purely physical approach in terms of proprioception, right? So okay. what they do is that they define certain parameters or ranges of movement and relationships. Like, you know, like the saying that, okay, my elbows are harmonized 
with the knees and ankles yes. with the wrists and all these things, right? Yep. So you can come at, come at it from a proprioceptive physical side. Yeah. For an absolute beginner in how they place themselves in space, right? You maintain that and you are as you maintain it, you introspect and recognize some of the inner conditions that are present when those when you're operating within those physical parameters. Right? Which is very akin to how I teach it actually. It's more like that for beginners when I do. I think I think that might be the only way for beginners for the simple reason that they have to cross that bridge in terms of getting in touch with their physical coordination, their proprioceptive positioning of their bodies in space. You know, yes. yeah. So it is it is very much the traditional way of doing it because if you go all interoceptive on people, they don't really understand. They don't really have those integrated perceptions that people are talking about right like um like for example of say, say for example to say like disperse your ye at a certain level of mm. your spine like, yeah. I mean, what the hell does it even mean right people don't actually have that perception so the physical parameters are very important and uh, now tying this back to some of the um resistance training work i do mm -hmm. yeah most people, when they get into it, their internal structure, the substrate, is neither strong or open enough to maintain those parameters, the physical parameters, let alone the interoceptive relationships. Yeah, okay. So this is why it's important. This is why the, the gongli aspect of the Jimen Gong exists, right? This is why you do hard physical work, and this is why people who have good external kung fu excel at internal loss when they get around to it because they have a strong substrate, they have awareness of their physical bodies, so it's easier for them to maintain these parameters and recognize the inner conditions mm. that give rise to these outer conditions. Mm. Okay. So what you do is you put these outer conditions together, you maintain it, and then you go inwards, and you recognize the inner conditions that are creating these outer conditions. Sure. And okay. then you work with refining these inner conditions. So after a certain stage, you don't really care too much about the outer conditions because the outer conditions become a manifestation of the inner conditions, right? So this is what they talk about in inner and outer harmony, right? Uh -huh. Yeah. I mean, it's spelled out right there, right? It's like it's 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 not about wearing those Chinese pajamas when you're doing Tai Chi. That's not the inner and outer harmony we're talking about. <laughs> there's no way. There's no way that you can mock people's outfits right now. <laughs> I don't know, man. I've I've heard teachers say like you know this is sandal power, right? This so is I don't know. <laughs> pajama? Are they, well, they don't think it's a literal thing, right? Eh, I mean, who knows? You know, like I mean, they pin their like you know feet to the ground like a pumpkin on toothpicks. So I mean, I guess at some level they do. I don't know. You the know, like it's funny because has become a bad word in some communities in the internal art. Can you believe what, that? What Sorry. Dantian has become a dirty word in some of these internal arts communities, which is quite hilarious. Yeah, sure, yes. But, but apparently, apparently, it's how these uneducated farmers who develop these arts um, explain just breathing to your belly, apparently. Right, yeah, I've yeah. Been, well, I've been told that, so um, what do I know, well, right? I mean, I'm a lineage holder, so what do I know? It's it's uh it's the same in the Qigong world and the alchemy world, which is even stranger, I think, personally. I mean, the Dantian should be even more prevalent within the Qigong world than it should be in Tai Chi, yeah. arguably, right? 
But I mean, you know, to be fair though, there's nothing wrong about like tying copper wire around your ball sack and <laughs> burying it in the ground, right? I mean, you know, like that sounds like a very decent thing, reasonable thing to do. Um, do you know, <laughs> yes, I actually showed this. Um, I took the Facebook groups and uh, the forums where people are, are tying copper wires to their perineum and their nether regions and, and sticking them in the in the water. I actually showed them to some of the lineage holders in the Nagong traditions and allowed them to read the groups and they thought it was hilarious. And I desperately wanted to to film for YouTube their reactions to reading Reaction what people were doing. But um, they wouldn't let me actually, but it would have been funny. But it, it's, I, I tried to tell them as well. I tried to tell the people who are, are plugging copper wires into their premium. I actually sent some of them a message, people I know saying, please, I, like they think it's hilarious, the heads of the schools of, that have the skills you're trying to recreate. But people didn't believe me. So what can you do? I'll leave them to their copper wires. But I mean, to be fair, though, like, I mean, there is an age old practice of like standing on those little glass marbles, like putting them under your bubbling well and sitting on it on your perineum. So you actually have some physical sensation of the bloody cliff. So, you know, there is that. There's also a jade butt plug that was used by some practitioners as well. So just because something <laughs> is old, I'm not sure that makes it valid. <laughs> You know, you got to be careful it. saying those um, things because one of these lineage holders might take it and say that internal bowel comes from the dead butt plug up the spine, right? I mean, you know? Sure, they'll do that behind closed doors. So there was there was an interesting thing you said there. I might pull uh, take you back a little bit if that's all right. You said that most people. I'm probably going to misquote you, so I apologize to correct me. But you said that most people don't have the the strength to maintain the conditions when they release. Is that right? As Zhongding goes deeper, was that the implication? or That is my experience, right? Okay. I mean, you know, the easiest way to think about it, right? Yeah. Is that, you know, when we, when we learn to move and affect the world around us as toddlers, right? Yeah. That's something that in neuroscience we call over-specialization. And that's, that's a term that's used in machine learning as well. So what okay. happens is that you have all these possibilities so based on your actual interaction with the task at hand, you narrow down these possibilities really quickly, and then you rely on these possibilities for the rest of your life, more or less, right? Hmm. Okay. So, yeah, what it, so what it does is that this reduces a lot of those pos possibilities you would have had earlier on, but at least now you're functional, right? Sure, yeah. So in the conventional way of movement, especially because we are so sedentary, these days, and we have a very limited range of moments. We don't we don't swing from branch to branch on the trees, or we don't run barefoot like oh. through the mountains, and we don't we don't do any of that stuff, right? Yeah. yeah. So, so our range of movement is very limited. So we over specialize into generating power and moving in a very specific way, right? Now, yeah, I get that. Yeah. And when you apply that to hard physical work with a limited range of function. What happens is that all those things consolidate to generate more power within those limited parameters. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. So this is one of the reasons why you shouldn't do resistance training until you're ready to, you have enough skill letting go. Yeah. Right? And maintaining some harmonies, or you're doing it prior to internal training in the first place to develop the internal substrate, right? The body yeah. and the mind, right? Because mind is important because you need skills like perseverance, right? I mean, you have, you need to have the skill of fucking practicing for crying out loud, right? Sure. So, and discipline and all the other stuff. 
So anyway, so what happens is when you let go of this consolidated substrate, right? You start unlocking variations within this, right? So now, outside of this robotic consolidated pattern that you are used to, yeah. you start opening variation within it, right? Now, the trick is the more range that you get, the more changes that you can make, the more variability you have, you start losing that consolidation. Things start separating. I get you. And, yeah. and adjusting to each other in subtle ways, right? But the problem is when these things separate under certain ranges of motion, they're simply not strong enough or powerful enough to do what it needs to be done, right? Right, okay, yes. So this is where I see the body opening and the yijing-jing process of the internal arts coming in so that you actually strengthen the pipe for the chi yeah. and strengthen the substrate, which is the pipes, to be able to push chi through in these all different circuits to get things done in more subtle and complex ways, right? So for people who so, don't know, Yijin Jing, uh, Joey's talking about sinew changing. Just for, sorry, carry so, on. Uh, so technically speaking, when you let go, you actually have to be stronger because the components that are in use now because other stuff is letting go, have to actually be stronger. They have to be more robust. Sure, yeah. They actually yeah. have to be able to pump chi through it to a much bigger degree because now they're not consolidated into this robotic stream of work, right? Yeah, I get it. So this is why when people let go in standing, right, it like hurts like hell. <laughs> yes, you know, it's not, to say the least. It's not a pleasant process. No, no, definitely. Well, I don't know, actually. I never had a problem with it because I quite enjoy pain. So I, it was actually oh, a quite enjoyable process for me. So I, I never had that issue. But most people seem to I hate it. I was about to say you're British. So, you know, like that's like walking the path for you. Yeah, totally. It was like, that's the worst. It hurts. All right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Standing was all right. Yeah, we more. <laughs> so, so, yeah, like, I mean, you know, my, my most my favorite teacher always mm -hmm. used to say that, you know, if you're not basically curled up on the ground in in fetal position and crying for your mummy yeah. after you know a few minutes of practice you're not doing it right, right? well to be fair some of my students are curled up on the like a fetal position crying on the floor before they even join the school actually sometimes we're, <laughs> we're working through we're working through some issues <laughs> well i mean at least they, they, they're they training themselves for what's coming right True. you can never start too early so this is like what you as well. I hope you don't mind me just keep taking you back and pulling something apart. I hope that's all right, Joey. No just, worries at all. I, yeah. Like, you know, I, I, at an earlier time, I used to dress like a normal human being too. So you know, I'd like to go back to that. That's never true. Definitely. That's definitely not. <laughs> you dress more <laughs> decently. <laughs> no, I, I, I like to take you back because um, uh, I think uh, a lot of what you're saying, like, I'm trying to I'm trying to just pull you back and uh, look at it from someone else's point of view because I I know what you're saying and I understand and and but I'm not sure that everybody listening to this will because I'm aware that you know as much as anything I like this conversation and your knowledge which is very high to be useful for beginners so sometimes I just want to pull the obvious out you which is you said about like the timing for resistance training which. Mm -hmm. Might sound blatantly obvious, but maybe you could explain those stages because you said that someone should do resistance training prior to internal work was one way of doing it. 
And then they shouldn't mm -hmm. do resistance training again, if you like, once their body is already strong until they had what? What what would they need if they're in Tai Chi? When to return to resistance training? So when you want to return to resistance training, yeah, is when you have enough chi in your body, right? Yeah. And enough opening in your body to work with the resistance in the way you carry your body around. Because your body is resistant, right? Resistance, right? Yes. So you support your body in a certain way, depending on which state you're in, right? Yeah. Um, when you're doing your internal work, right? So you should be able to apply that to the resistance in the same way. You don't go and do something else completely different. You know what I mean? Okay. Uh, so you yes, don't basically... Yeah. You don't go and you don't go and basically try to maximize for like you know vanity muscle group hypertrophy <laughs> while you're doing internal training. You should be doing it the way you're internal training, right? And this is the reason with all the volume of work that I'm putting in this, why my body is beautiful like this and unconventionally beautiful. Because it just doesn't work on the body the same way. Right? Sure. <laughs> yes. So what what what's the difference? Why does it work differently on the body? What what is because it produces an outcome, but but it's not it's not the standard bodybuilding outcome. So one of my friends from a sistema background, he likes to yes. call it the labor strength, right? The what strength? Labor. He call it labor strength, right? right? Yeah. So if you look at a lot of laborers, right, they're thick. They have thick bodies. Right. Yes. But they're not beautifully defined bodies that you want to drop your drop your skirts for, right? Not usually, no. <laughs> <laughs> not usually. I mean, it could be, but not usually, right? Yeah. So, because basically in resistance, like you know, when you're doing resistance training mm -hmm. with any modality that you that that integrates your body in a way that disperses the forces across all your substrate and generates power from release using either viscosity of your body or the elasticity of your body, right? Yeah. When you're operating in that modality, everything becomes a whole body exercise. You curl a dumbbell, it's working on the whole body, right? Sure. So Jay was like doing a uh, cable press down today and she was complaining that her quadriceps are hurting and some tiny muscles in her ankles are hurting, right? But that's what it is. That's what internal training is. It's not your triceps that's going to take all the brunt of it. Because your body is no longer a platform with a crane attached to it where the crane is doing all the work. Yes. Now your whole body is the crane, right? Yeah. So um, so this is why, like, so when you're doing the internal modality, no matter which particular technology you're using, is a whole integrated body affair where the load is distributed across the entire substrate and it gives you the possibility to modulate that entire substrate. It gives you the degrees of freedom of that entire substrate within the harmony that you're maintaining. Sure. Right? Yeah. So this is why you can do very subtle things while you're generating power. Right? Sure. I mean, you can be you can be applying power straight, but apply to a person so that they're moving laterally, right? So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I get it. So this, so this is the thing. So this is why these training modalities are very different. If sure. you're not trying to go for hypertrophy of what is so-called vanity muscles, we are trying to apply the internal training process to work with resistance just the way, just the way we work with body weight, right? Sure, yeah. And, um, and so in order to do that, 
you have to have a good degree of being able to let go both mentally and physically so that you can make you can remain within the conditions of the jungling that you're training cool yeah so um so basically that's kind of what it is like if you can't generate the necessary conditions to first float the resistance as in like support the resistance with the yin aspect of your structure right yeah and then at a later stage i mean you don't have to do it that right you can you can use the morphology of the yin structure to move the weights which actually strengthens the yin aspect of the body but at a later stage you basically let the weight be supported by the yin aspect and then you use the yin path like the heart path as some call it and other stuff right to actually mobilize it right oh. so at a higher level of resistance training you have to have that clear yin and yang separation of the jung ding oh. for it to work but when you're beginning the resistance work the internal way you're focusing more on the yin aspect of jung ding and letting things open up letting things stretch let the dewy life expand itself and reinforce itself and so on and so forth so um yeah i mean that so in a nutshell to recap you can only approach resistance training with the internal method when you're in a position where you can comfortably support your own body using that internal method yes and then in addition to that you start supporting external loads using the same method if it's, you're doing something else that's not the right thing it's why you have to start with shots tiny weights right when you start to lift weights because right. it, it's certainly even um anything almost beyond a, a tin of beans when you first start it almost throws everything out right it doesn't look very yeah well. but this is where you start with without weights right you start sure. without resistance and then you start adding resistance as you get better right mm. and uh, and 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 you know the mental component is a large part of this like a lot of the problem that people have is not the actual load but it's also the discernment of the mind to let go precisely enough to operate within that jungling and to mobilize chi to get the job done sure yeah okay so it's very much mental training as well it's funny because you know I, I go and do a workout i come out like way more relaxed than waking up in the morning sure. and my mind is as clear as you know i've been sitting for like three days sure okay yeah and it, it's uh is it based on a the way your way of doing it is it based on a lot less repetitions physical repetitions than an external thing like in you know you know i mean like three sets of 12 or like people do or something like that no nah, it's got nothing to do with any of that like i mean every sure. i'm a one I'm a one rep wonder right sure well i do an insane amount of sets but i'm a one rep wonder right <laughs> so you you the many sets on the inside of changing the body but only one time to move the thing or yeah, one time, one rep, and then you have to calibrate and get your mind together and try to figure out how can I go deeper, and you do another set of one rep, you know? Sure, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's what I was getting at. I was trying to get at that it's a, it's a different way of working, right? It's like it's not the Absolutely. it's not the repetition of the weight because that is, I forgot the term you used for, but putting people into that narrower field of, of movement, right? Yep, absolutely. And uh, so, what you, so the interesting part about resistance is that there's a fundamental aspect of our psyche that of letting go that happens in within these constraints when you have a load on you. Like, you know, when like colloquially when we use language, right? Mm -hmm. We say like 
give me space, right? Yeah, yeah. The perception of space in the human mind is directly related to the consciously perceivable or perhaps unconsciously perceivable options. The yeah. more degrees of freedom or more options that you have available to you, it gets integrated into a perception by your body that gives you a physical perception of space, mm. right? So with resistance, you directly deal with this, right? You know, like letting go is a very different thing standing versus when you have like 80 kilos on your chest and you're like, you know, <laughs> you don't want to be crushed by it, right? Yes. Yeah. So there's a whole mm-hmm. different range, like kind of, you know, quality that comes out of it. And interesting enough, you know, like, I mean, a lot of BJJ guys who train really well, right, who who basically train towards efficiency rather than brute force, yes, end up developing a lot of those mental qualities. I mean, their, their physical bodies are not organized the same way. But in terms of being open to the options and seeing the web of course and effect emanating from the present moment, a lot of the BJJ guys actually, like high-level BJJ guys already get it. Yeah. Because they're constantly operating within that environment where they are constricted in their movement because that's the goal. And they had to find the movement within. They had to find the space within to operate, right? Sure. Yeah. So it's quite interesting. But obviously doing it uh, via a different mechanism, I assume, without the mechanism of Qi and Zhongding, right? Yeah. I mean, like I haven't personally met a BJJ guy who ordinarily would do it that way. But I mean, I know that there are some internalists who operate within the BJJ framework Yes. who do things that way. Right? Yeah, sure. yeah. And uh, who at least try to or strive to approach doing things that way. But ordinarily... It's not done that way. But the interesting part is that, you know, if you listen to some of the things, I mean, I don't know if they're public or not, but I've heard accounts of the BJJ process being described by, I think it might have been Helio Gracie or someone like that, or it might be Rickson Gracie, some, or maybe both, right? There's, there's a lot Where of talking about, one of them. <laughs> one of them, or both of them, yep. who are talking about like the inner conditions, the interoceptive conditions of functioning as a BJ creature yeah that has a lot of parallels with some of the conditions that we have mm. in the internal work so i'm not saying that they're mobilizing cheap i say conscious at the very least because they haven't maybe they have like i mean i can't say for sure but most likely they haven't developed a dantian like you do in the internal arts yes but but there are a lot of commonalities in how they approach it like the, how do they how they approach movement and power sure so what, what do you think a Dantian is in the internal martial arts? So in the internal martial arts, the Dantian is, okay, the best way to explain it is that it's just like Jungling, right? Yeah. It occupies a certain niche within the overall picture. Right. What yeah. it may physically represent will be different depending on the actual technical modality that you're training. Okay. So give us a, give us an early modality that would involve uh, Dantian. So the earlier modality of involving the Dantian is something that people who also do a lot of external work, especially with like mace work sure, and yeah. uh, things like that develop, which is an integration of your limbs and the rest of your body yeah. through what they would call your hara or your center, lower center, right? Yeah. So everything got strung up together to your center in some way that you can swing these massive loads around and deal with massive torques while still maintaining your balance and posture. 
Okay. Yeah. That integration, that integration point where everything stretches into or elastically connects to and where all the movement originates from is the niche term that is used for the idea of the Dantian. Okay. In my experience. Sure. Right? And, you know, it, it starts off very physically, obviously. And as, as you develop, it becomes more than just a physical, it becomes more energetic. But it's like, I mean, you know, I've, I've actually met people who actually have an energetic Dantian, but not a physical Dantian. Yep. Yeah. Well, I certainly have as well. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, it's, it's, I mean, so Dantian is not a thing. It's just basically, it's really a concept within the overall framework of what you're doing that occupies a certain niche within the overall architecture of how you're operating. Okay, sure. Yeah. Okay. So if if someone were to, so could you develop these arts without such a thing? Tai Chi, for example. Um, well, it depends on what Tai Chi is, right? Like if you're going back to what the founders handed over to us, absolutely yeah. not. Sure. But, you know, if you're following one of these lineage holders or these, one of these modern day sages who sage speak all the time. Yeah. You know, they have no Dantian, so whatever the fuck that they make it out to be, right? Sure. I mean, that, that, there's the debate, isn't there? Like, it's what is what is Tai Chi? Say Tai Chi is an example. What is it? Is it what it was originally? Or is it what most people practice now? Or is it, do you define it by what the lineage holders now are doing? Do you know what I mean? Like, because things evolve yeah, change. Yeah. It, it's hard to say where or what something is. Yeah, I mean, Tai Chi is a great many number of things, a great many number of people today, and there are a lot of people doing it, right? Yes. Uh, and even back in the day, what Tai Chi really is at a granular level differed from teacher to teacher at whatever the stage of their progress that they were in their lives, right? Yes. So it's not a new phenomena, but at least they were in the right ballpark within this umbrella where they would agree on the overall architecture of things, right? Sure, yeah. Where things are, where things are, like how, what what's the role of the Jungding? What is the role of the Dantian? You know, what is the role of Qi, right? Sure. But nowadays, you know, even lineage holders included, not everybody, but obviously some, right? It doesn't have that overall architecture, right? It's like a jumbled mess mm. that gets distorted on a daily basis, right? That is, sure. so this is basically what I'm trying to offer a counterpoint to every opportunity I get because I owe it to the people who handed these arts down to us to at least stay within the ballpark, right? I mean, I'm not a, I'm, I don't, I'm not someone with a Highlander syndrome where, you know, I basically say like my way is the only way, right? I and mean, there can be only one, right? It's certainly not that. I mean, there's even in, back in the day when you look at how, how they have spoken and what they have said, and you look at their movement, some of the luminaries, they were, they were doing slightly different things. But it was within that oral architecture. It all had that rough shape. Right? Sure. Yeah. It wasn't something else altogether. Right? Sure. And what what was the variation? Yeah. The variation, I guess, it, from the outside was just because their their internal mechanisms or, or conditions caused a slightly different expression on the outside. Um. So. Yes, it does cause a different expression on the outside, but it stems from the inner harmonies, right? Sure. Yeah. The proportions of the inner harmonies and the components that are unlocked and used within these inner harmonies are not necessarily identical. 
Of course, yes. Yeah. But, but they are within the same ballpark in terms of operation, in terms of the role of the Jungling, role of the Dantian, the role of letting go, the role of Chi. Sure. Those there is no argument about. They all agree on this, agree on that. <laughs> it's not the case now. <laughs> oh, it's not the case now. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. No. Well, apparently these days, if you really want internal power, you need to wear sandals because it's sandal power, and it all comes through the spine, right? Come through what? You know, apparently, it all comes from the spine, right? And the you spine. know, the funny part is that it's not untrue, right? Yeah, I mean, the chi does adhere to the spine. It's a very real thing. But that is, once you have dan a dantian and once you have chi, sure. if you don't have a dantian and if you don't have chi, what exactly adheres to the spine? Yeah, so nowadays power from the spine gets translated sort of curving it and releasing it or something often, doesn't it? Or um, waving it. Twisting or some shit like that, you know, like, I mean... I mean, I don't, I mean like... Yeah. I mean, I don't know if everyone's noticed, but the spine's not actually that strong. Like as a physical mechanism, it's they're not great joints. They're not uh, any chiropractor. No, it's not actually, you know what? Like this is the reason why any compet like not any, but not all, but most competitive powerlifters or bodybuilders, right? When they yeah. get to the upper levels of their potential capacity, yes, they end up fucking up their spine. Like you know, like there are like legendary bodybuilders who. Like, I forget this one, this guy's name. Like, after some 30-something spinal surgery, the doctor said, like, fuck it, no more. We're not doing that. He could have said that after before the 30th spine surgery. <laughs> Just to uh, be I mean, it may not be 30, it might be 16, <laughs> but still, it was a high number, right? I mean, so, like, you know. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I don't think you could ever be in a position to define your internal skill by how many surgeries you've had. Uh, I think I told you before, I, I went to check out a, a Bagua, a Bagua giant school that was very well known. And when I got there, I sat, I sat in a, maybe a cafe with some of the disciples of the lineage holder of the system. And they were all sat around comparing the scars on their knees from the surgeries they'd had from circle walking the way they did, which was very long and low, like you see in wushu competitions. And they were all comparing. Right. They had like four scars, three scars on their knees, and they, they didn't see anything wrong with that at all. Like nothing. And I looked at my knees, which are unscarred, and thought, do you know what? I think I'll go train somewhere else, actually. <laughs> I think I'll give this a miss. <laughs> you know, you would think that for any person with a bit of common sense, this would be like telling signs of to like, you know, run away. Uh, if one person needs a knee operation, fair enough. But if all of you, that it's maybe yeah, it's right. yeah. I mean, you know, it's not a badge of honor, you know, it's not like a rite of passage. Sure, <laughs> I mean, well, it, it seemed to be that way, yeah. And that was that was a lineage holder, that was a lineage holder, direct lineage holder as well. You know, I mean, my experience is completely different, right? So, I, I mean, I don't, I, I know that we weren't talking a lot at the time, but um, you know, sort of around like sort of like when I went through my calamity. In, 2018, my spine completely deteriorated, right? Your and it. Um, yeah, my spine completely deteriorated. Like it lost its ability to maintain integrity, right? Yeah. So much so that, like, um, I couldn't sit up, I couldn't stand, I couldn't even sleep, right? Yes. So there's, there's a month, tons of pain, and I used to get cortisol injections, and um, and um, I went to like two and a half spinal surgeons. I said two and a half because one of them was like a traditional healer, right? Right, and you say it was a kid or something, yeah. <laughs> and and all of them, right? Yeah, were basically suggesting that I take spinal surgery and like 
fuse some of the vertebrae and, and then yeah. like you know you know it's not like you're moving anyway so you don't need that right <laughs> so um so anyway the, the point is that i am standing today yes and walking and doing all kinds of weird stuff today because of the internal practice right yeah. like after adam very very subtly tricked me into practicing again by asking me very specific technical questions where i had to practice to be able to have some way to like intelligently talk to him about it Yes. Because yes. I had, by this point, like, given up on the body, right? Yes. So once I got got back into it, like, in about six months, the spine was perfectly fine. Like, so much so that one of the spinal surgeons actually take, made me take multiple MRIs because he couldn't believe that how this is possible. <laughs> because he was like, this is not possible, right? Oh, right, yeah. So he wanted to prove me wrong. And he's like, no, I'm, I'm sure it is still deteriorating. Let's take an MRI. Let's take another one, right? But uh, what this is the thing. This is... Um, letting go and jung ding basically and chi right. and surrender, right? Yeah, I mean, all, all, all the bread and butter of internal practice, really. Like, it's not any one specific thing I did, it's just how I was relating to the world and how I was moving with it, right? So, when you, when you do you equate the uh damage to the spine with maybe linked to that phrase of obviously, um, you know, the, the spirit rising up the back as your spirit collapsed no, no, spine, no. Or, or something simpler than that? So, I mean, I can't, I don't know for sure, right? But the correlation that I saw, that I remember and I recognize is that the more my sense of self, of who I knew myself to be, was deteriorating based on the insecurity and the fear and the doubt that I had about who I was, was directly correlated to the deterioration of the spine. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Well, like the less I knew who I was, and the less I had any sense of self worth, the more deterioration there was in the spine. Right. And uh, and through surrender, like stepping away from the need for that in the first place, integrated everything together under a new normal in a way. Sure. Yeah. I get so, it. Uh, so that's similar to when i i've seen people who've had uh on a lesser scale than obviously what you're talking about with with what happened to you back in 2018 right i think yeah. i've seen people that have had like high-flying jobs or really important positions or whatever in companies and then lost their job like overnight you know like some financial problem and then their spine just collapsed it was like when their identity of their profession was gone yeah. they had any back problems just boom just back destroyed yeah i mean i can certainly related to that i mean you know like there was a time when i didn't want to like be seen by any living thing let alone a human being sure right i mean that's how bad it was so and and i couldn't get up stand sleep anything right that was kind of like the, the law of the law in a way right and um and i used to cry for hours because i was like you know god doesn't love me it's like you know i'm not worth shit because you know even god doesn't love me anymore you know what i mean but yeah the spine thing was very much associated with that and once i started to get out of it and started to start moving around with the new mental outlook of looking at things right um yeah it just basically got integrated back together and like it's been great okay good no problems at all there now no at all not at all actually um so at the moment like for the last sort of 
two years or something i've been what i've been working on is like letting all the kinks out in the neuromuscular system that is twisting the spine so yeah which all have to do with sit up here right so okay so, okay. Uh, so yeah I'm, I'm i'm actually getting less kinky and less twisted as time goes and my spine is getting more organized and my body is becoming more symmetrical and beautiful obviously and less kinky less kinky yes. i mean what the hell you know <laughs> Well, the that. <laughs> so, do you think that uh, this way is this way you see your your uh, satachi or or well, internal arts in general? Do you feel it's more useful this direction you're taking it with regards to development rather than killing people? Do you want to kill? Well, people this is exactly what I mean. Like, you know, <laughs> I mean, even before going there, right? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, I've been through a few interesting events, like you know, when I basically crashed my bike in Thailand in 2011 or whatever it was, yes. right? And had a concussion and lost my sense of balance, right? Yeah. I remember because you, maintaining... you were too frightened to get on a bike when I met you. So you used to... Yeah, that's right, right. Right. I have to that's, know, I, I was too polite to take the side, say at the time, you were the worst passenger ever because you couldn't sit still. You were pointing at this and pointing at that. You nearly killed us several times when you were on the back of my bike. <laughs> well, I'm glad we survived. Yeah, me too. And um, so yeah, like so basically uh, coming out of it, I had no sense of balance. So the only way I knew how to maintain my balance and be able to stand up and eventually learn to walk properly and stuff like that was basically I was I was basically relying on the 13 structural integration points of electron from right. Master's Amsterdam to remain within that because I didn't have a sense of balance, which was innate. So I'm like, okay, if I maintain these conditions, I know that I'm not going to fall over, right? Sure. Okay. So yeah. Even before the high level practice stuff, maintaining the physical constraints helped me a lot recovering from that injury. So that is more powerful than, you know, like imposing myself on another human being and, you know, throwing them 20 meters or whatever the fuck. Who gives a shit, really? I mean, you know, you, you run them over with a car if you really want to do that. <laughs> I don't know the 13 um, I don't know much about Lilic Twan are they similar to sort of Tai Chi parameters or are they different uh, I mean it's it's in the same architecture like so basically Lilic Twan neutral yeah. is the analog concept to Jung Ding in Tai Chi Chuan right okay and just like Yang Cheng Fu's you know 10 or 13 points depending on how you count Mm -hmm. of structural integration that he's published, like Electron has a 13 points that you maintain as a scaffolding to discover the, what the Electron neutral is. Right. Okay. Yeah. So do, do so, Electron practitioners develop Zhongding in the same way then? Um, the no. I mean, their Zhongding is different, right? It's not the same as Tai Chi Zhongding. But their neutral has the same architectural place within that system, within their mode of operation, to what Taijuan practitioners have with Jungding. Right. Okay. Yeah. Because you've obviously uh, touched hands with the, the well, the two heads really of Elik Chuan, haven't you? Yeah. So Master Sam and um, Sifu Jimmy do things differently, right? Mm. And um, and especially with Sifu Jimmy, everything is constantly in flux because he keeps on improving on a day to day basis, right? Sure. So he's doing on refining and refining and refining. But uh, but yeah, it's like their their approach, their inner approach, is different. Yeah. But the external work is still the same. Is it okay? All right then. Yeah. Yeah. The only the only one I've had is a lesson of you. I think that's it. 
all right, okay. <laughs> well, then, then that's not it, whatever it was. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is, this, is a, this is the other thing, right? Like, yeah. the internal practice is very liberating because, um, like, my jungling and harmonies change every bloody time I train now. So what I said today to anybody and what I believed in myself is either an incomplete truth or an outright lie tomorrow, right? Yeah, yes. So you're liberated from the notion of knowledge. At the end of the day, I know nothing, right? Like yes. if you ask me something, I'll be able to like concoct something, right? Yeah. But it's not... It's not like knowledge in any sense of the word. It's just basically I'm putting things together and expressing something to you. But that doesn't ne not necessarily reflect my worldview tomorrow and certainly not the day after, right? Is, is, are there not some uh, core, say, parameters or harmonies that have remained the same throughout of this or have they all changed? The architecture remains. Sure. And the harmonies change quite a lot. The oral okay. architecture remains. Right. Okay, yeah, yeah, sure. Does this manifest... I mean, the changes in the oral architecture is slow. Right. I mean, oral architecture changes very slowly, mm -hmm. but the internal parameters and harmonies change on a bloody day-to-day -day basis, really. Sure. Okay. Well, mm, that makes it difficult maybe to, I guess that makes it one a hard thing to teach, right? So we're making well, if I'm not a teacher. Right. Okay. That's why I leave it to more qualified people. Oh, <laughs> I don't know about that. It is. Yeah. I mean, it is. I mean, maybe... My point being, maybe not not uh, not specifically person to person, but maybe this is kind of a part of the reason why these things have disappeared so much, rather than secrecy or something, because maybe it's just really difficult to pass on if something's shifting day by day by day. I mean, absolutely, right? I mean, you can see it if you really look into, like, you know, lifetime of some of the luminaries in the art, and you see people who train with them at an earlier stage. Yes. Their view of the art is completely different to someone who like trained with them like you know the week before they died or something, you know. Sure. Yeah, totally. And at what stage does a teacher write down which are the core harmonies? Like they must hang on one second. It just raises like an ice box in here. Turn off the temperature thing. Yeah, so what's what stage do they uh I guess it when they write it down, say Yang Cheng Fu's key principles that he writes down i guess the question is does he write down what harmonies he's using at the time or what harmonies people should start with or what harmonies are the constants i mean do you have well, an opinion thing, I, I would say i would say based on his actual writing i would say those are the harmonies that he's seen to be more static throughout sure. the development that he can remember yeah and uh, and and you know like um again what doesn't help is that the way i train my is the way that my favorite teacher approached it was to constantly keep on refining how you let go, how you surrender, how you offer yourself to the divine, right? Yes. So I'm not really thinking about harmonies at all. I'm really thinking about the architecture of letting go or the structure of letting go. So unless someone asks me, like, uh, like we touch hands and basically I can feel something out of place, I'm not even thinking about harmonies. Sure. But there must have been a stage where you were, right? There must have been a stage yeah. where you were and, and because they're kind of taken care of, you've moved on. That's right. I mean, like there was a, like, of course, I started with the, like, Li Chong 13 points and Yang Cheng Fu's 10 to 13 points, right? Yeah. But once it got into the more interest, interceptive aspect of letting go and what you maintain when you let go and what is left when you let go, those things are no longer things I even think about, right? If sure. Yeah, yeah, I get it. And I'm, 
So when I'm working with a friend and if he's doing something and if I can see something is out of place, depending on where I'm at on the day, right? Sure. Yeah. So I can point out that some harmonies that may be a little bit off, right? Sure. But uh, but it is not something that I would like write down, for example. I mean, I know that a lot of friends actually have asked me to write these things down at every stage. I don't think it's practical, man. Like, I mean, my, every training session, my jungling changes. And I train like three, four times a day. Right. <laughs> so it's just going to happen. It would be a like a, a, a mad scrolling that just went on for pages and pages. Exactly. I'm sorry, Rob. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So but, you... Uh, but you know, like when, like the thing is, this, like, this is the thing with the great unknowing, right? Like in the sense that um, when your mind is free of knowledge, right? Language and ideas and concepts that we call knowledge becomes things that are used in an instant for a particular purpose. Sure. There's no use for it beyond that, right? Mm-hmm. So when someone else asks the same question, if the conditions they're presenting is different, where they're coming from is different, right? How it will be described will be different, right? Yeah, and that's so, definitely something I've seen from the people I've learned from as well, where I've asked something and then somebody else has asked something on a similar a similar matter and there's been a different response, almost contradictory in the extreme, like almost the exact opposite within 20 minutes of the question being answered. And, and, you know, the beauty of this is from a student perspective is that, you know, people always get harped on the Highlander syndrome again, like, you know, which version is true, right? Yes. But the yeah, thing yeah, is, yeah. right, when you have descriptions from multiple facets of the same thing within the intersection where from of the view from all these facets where all the those views from those facets are true mm-hmm. is where the truth lies, right? So yeah, having yeah. different interpretations, having different descriptions makes it much easier to find the truth if you can get your mind to accept that there must be this one true state yes. where all this perspective-dependent knowledge arises from. Yeah, sure. But yeah. most people, they don't, they can't let go of that idea that I need security by having that one right thing, right? I, I've seen that. I've seen that from from teachers that I've seen their writings, not not lineage holders or or head, you know, like how people, but watching people writing something or getting homework on a principle, and then I see them. I don't see them for a while, you know. Then I see some more of their writings five years later, and it's exactly the same. Or another five years later, it's exactly the same, and I can see they're kind of stuck. And if if I look back to even what I said a short while ago, it's definitely developed beyond there and I don't understand how people get fixated on this sort of one concept and then eventually that concept becomes what they do like they, it's it's like one principle becomes their identity within these arts or something and I I, I wouldn't want to practice an art that caused me to become stuck that way really well it's not an art exactly right and you know like we build our own prisons right and the knowledge yeah. of what we consider knowledge becomes our prison because now instead of seeing things what they are and refining our experience of it, we become these slaves to this worldview that we are going to operate within, right? So it just yeah. creates bad feeling, right? So, and you know, I mean, it also creates bad feeling as well, not just because yeah. then it you have to like that idea. <laughs> I think it sounds horrible, really. No, it's yeah. interesting because um, very early on in my training, like um, I asked for Jimmy. 
like you know see if we, um, can we start writing down some of these things you yeah. know like sort of you know, we can systematize systematize a little bit and he laughed at me and said you know i'm changing every day so how can i create a system of it this is a living art cool and then he said like you want to know what electron is it's me <laughs> right uh, okay. <laughs> like and it's so true like it's funny because some of jimmy's students get really bent out of shape when i say electron is jimmy or would you electron is jimmy right they get bent out of shape because they're like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm like a level eight or nine and like six or whatever the fuck it is. And like, I know this form, that form, blah, 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 blah. It's like, it doesn't matter. Those things are not the art. Sure. The art is the man who created the fucking thing and constantly refining. Right? Yes. So, um, but I mean, yeah, like that's something that I learned very early on, very directly because Jimmy would... Um, like you refuse to systematize things because it's like, you know, then he stops being a living art. And like in other words, right? <laughs> he's basically saying like, don't basically lock me in a box because you want fucking security, right? Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah. And, um, and you know, he would, he would basically say like, look, I mean, I would, I would show you what I'm doing a hundred times, thousand times, 600 times until you get it. That's how we learn. Not by reading something that I write. You know what cool. I mean? But then, then you and, do. Uh, there is that challenge, there, isn't it? That it, I guess, as somebody like him or, or somebody teaching something, it's the it's the divide between taking one person and training them to get to the stage where they're a living art, or trying to preserve the system full stop. Because it, it, if a system is too fluid, too organic, it's very hard for it to survive. That's right, isn't it? Because it's only really going to survive if the person you taught has reached a stage where they're they're also a living art, and maybe there's a there, maybe there's a decision you have to make where it's like maybe I have to settle on something less in order to standardize it for a little while. I think I mean to be fair, I think I mean if you look at historical figures, I think Don Hai Chuan did a good job, right? Like I mean he produced a lot of living art kind of students, right? Yeah, but each of them do it differently. But you know they all are that living art kind of thing, so. And yet that art's almost dead. Sorry? And yet that art's almost dead now. So that's true. So obviously, uh, obviously all of his students didn't quite get something from Dong Hai Chuan where they could like replicate it in, the, in their students. I would say it's harder, much harder to find someone in Bagua that really uh has got it or has the Bagua really the the living art i guess as you described it compared to tai chi and it's hard in tai chi absolutely i fully agree and um, i mean it's i think the problem is like like you said right tai chi, tai chi at least has some structure right yeah and yes. uh, and bago for the most part in terms of literary tradition for example right that's yeah. really like very little yes i think also as well having being a practitioner of both arts or, or fumbling around in them. I think Tai Chi, at least you can kind of, there's a logical basis to its foundation yeah. exercises. You know what I mean? Whereas the foundation yeah. exercise for Bagua is circle walking, which is such a, right. uh, such a bizarre foundation practice that I think people kind of on the whole get confused and stumble on the first block. <laughs> it's like before yes. you worry about anything else. And I, I, understand, I get it. Like, what an odd practice to begin with. Yeah, you know, this is something like, um, like you know, this is why Michael Phillips like says Bagua is like a PhD level art, right? It's like it's not something that you take on as a beginner. It's something that you take on once you're well versed in one or more internal systems. It's sort of like 
you know, the further refinement. And actually, interesting enough, right? Yang Ban Hao transmitted his own version of Bagua yeah. as complementary to Taiji Chuan because he obviously yeah. found that whatever the emphasis that's there within that certain stream of Bagua practices was actually required to reach higher levels of Tai Chi from his perspective. Right, okay. How, so, how, preserved, um, is, how preserved is that? That's the question. <laughs> um, yeah, I've, I've met like one person who had it. Sure. And I've, I've met like two people who knew the framework but that's about it. And they, like one of them didn't practice it and the other guy practiced it very much like an external style. So Sure. Okay. Yeah. And that's how things get lost. That's right. And then you have dickheads who basically make shit up to justify their incompetence, which doesn't help. So so I've, I've watched you uh, try to explain the uh, uh, your take on Gongli. You know, like uh, if, if it's okay for me to call it that, you know, just I think that's what most people would categorize it as yeah yeah uh, maybe it's an unsatisfactory name for it because it kind of implies sort of clumsy strength building but you know what i mean like the strengthening process using using resistance yeah. to a certain degree to yeah. these internal parameters but i've seen you try to explain it and and i don't know like here i think you've explained it very satisfactory i'm i mean it's clear to me i think uh the the process the the, the logic behind it but it's interesting to see how much resistance you get from people when you try to explain this to them. Why do uh, you think that is? Because it's not, there's like a logical kickback with something. Do you know what I mean? When you present an idea and it sounds so weird, people go, oh, fuck off. I get that. But sometimes you present an idea or, or people in general, and there's like an illogical kickback to it. It's like something in them subconsciously can't accept it, let alone doesn't want to accept it. And I've seen that around this. And I tend to like I tend to see that a lot as our grapes in a way that um, <laughs> you know, like I mean, if you if you go like I mean, the way I was passed down some of these things from some traditions, right? Yeah. Like they don't use the term gongli to describe the actual internal work, the the internal resistance work they do. They use the term gongli to describe the work that you do prior to taking on internal work. Sure, yeah, sorry, just putting a name on it for now, but yeah. Yeah, the, the internal work they refer to as Yijin Jing, they don't really change it or anything. Right? Okay. And, um, now, the thing is that the fundamental problem I find is that to the average person who's who knows only the over-specialized conventional way of generating power, right, describing how the Yijin Jing process changes how you operate yes it's completely alien like they don't have a reference for it they they like a lot of people find it difficult to understand it and the problem is it's such a fundamental thing that there's a lot of resistance that arises to it they said people don't want to admit that they don't know like you know like if it's such a fundamental thing like how much of a numpty do i have to be if i don't get it right Right. So, yeah. So, so they resort to if I if I don't get it, it doesn't exist, right? So it's almost like an embarrassment thing, or in in this way, not wanting to admit it. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, you see this in not in the internal world, right? Like, I mean, a lot of practitioners who have spent a lot of time and invested in these things, right? Yeah. 
it generally operates under the principle that if I can't envision it in my mind and appreciate it in some way, shape, or form, it cannot be real because they don't have the courage and security within their own self-worth to accept that there could be something that they they are completely unaware of in existence that is possible. Yeah, totally. And this this was always my approach with it that several times in in my practice I encountered teachers that did something or said something that I just couldn't understand and even a part of my brain was like yeah I'm not sure about this. So my logic was yeah. I'll give it six months. I'll do it alongside because if it is real, then the outcome that is produced seems worth having. The outcome seems worth it. So therefore, I'll dedicate six months to it alongside my other training and see if it yeah. comes to any fruition. And generally, that was how I made a choice. And I kept a totally open mind. And after six months, I could usually know whether this was leading somewhere or not leading somewhere else. That was always my mm -hmm. opinion. Like, I mean, for me, it takes a lot longer. Like, for example, I, I remember I was bitching to you about like how, um, like you know, how Wang Sheng's I was right, and I fucking hated you, Chen, right? <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that, that took like what, like you know, sixteen years to get there. <laughs> why, do, why, why do you hate? Why do you hate each one? No, I mean, I don't hate it. I was just basically saying that I don't like the way that most modern practitioners each one operate. Like, they're very stiff. But I mean, if you look at someone like Sam Tan, right? He's very fluid. There's a lot of chi involved. It's very different, right? Yeah. But generally speaking, a lot of Yichuan practitioners are stiff as fuck, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know, so you look at Sam Tan's moment and, you know, he comes from a Yichuan background and you know he's doing it right because you, know, you can see yeah. all the right qualities in him, right? But then you see some of those guys like, oh, I learned from the Yao brothers and he moves like a fucking robot. And I'm like, that shit can't be right. Right. You okay. know? Yeah, but, I did. I did lately, sorry, I did some each one, but it was of the. I just went to have a look for a, a short while, and it was of the robotic. It was standing right, in Jam right. Jong. It was standing in Jam Jong with no principles, and then you hit each other with boxing gloves. I didn't. I didn't oh, really yeah. that. <laughs> it's a little bit different, right? Yeah, it kept so, me busy uh, for a few weeks. Whatever. Yeah, so so I I really don't I really don't resonate with that particular interpretation of each one right sure. but um, the more I spend time with these things especially lately the more I find myself working with static postures whether they are loaded or unloaded right like weighted or not or whether it's in a pool or not or something like that right yeah. I tend to spend more time in what can be seen as static postures and I'm beginning to appreciate a lot of writing and a lot of the bitching by Wang Zhengfei at the time sure yes yeah, he was quite outspoken. Yeah, and I'm like, damn, like, you know, he was onto something. Sure, yes. Yeah, yeah, I get it. One second. So, uh, yeah, it, it only took 16 years, but, you know, it could be worth Well, it probably took him longer. I mean, he didn't develop each one right at the beginning of his journey, right? Yeah, which is, which is true, right? Which is true. And, and, you know, like, he was one of those guys. I really resonate with him in a way. Like, he was basically one of those guys who seem to go like, okay, everything is arising from a smaller subset of principles, so let's get the principles right, and everything else will fall into place. If you get the principles right. Which is very philosophical Taoist anyway, with all of the myriad things being born out of a central point, right? Which is kind of the core exactly. of the internal arts adopted, as far as I exactly. can see. Exactly. I mean, you know, this is why I 
tend to think that, you know, our ex existence might be some type of computational gimmick for the simple reason that if I was programming a system like this, these are some of the optimizations that I would take sure. to reduce the computational complexity, right? So sure. who knows? <laughs> yeah, very true. <laughs> so, um, so, so I don't know much about God, but I know that God was a great programmer. So what is, yeah, what was, uh, so my view then is, is that there has sometimes, I guess sometimes um, caused disagreement from people is I, I believe that an internal art is not really an internal art by that categorization if it doesn't include or at least run parallel to the principles of the I Jing. I can't mm -hmm. think of an internal art that I know, including everything from Neigong through to Qigong, mm -hmm. through to Tai Chi Bagua, and Xing Yi, even really, and others I've yeah. seen, and yoga, really, the body yeah. on the side of it. Yeah. They all kind of classify it. So, I maybe you could explain how you see the principles of the Yi Jing Jing, because the, the, the sinew changing, sorry, for people who don't know what that phrase is, I apologize. Um, what, do, what do you think the key principles of the Yi Jing Jing process are? Or is it a practice? So so, you know, the, the interesting part about this, like one of my teachers, he used to translate it as not sinew changing, but he was very specific. He was like changing the qualities of the muscles to closely match those of the sinews so that they can work together as one. Cool. <laughs> There's a mouthful, but that was his translation and that made a lot of sense to me and it still does. Yeah. And uh, when you look at the actual use of it, right, you know, like basically Sung is not a state of complete muscle relaxation, right? It's a state that creates the dynamic tension, elastic tension, Andrila, which is basically largely created by activating muscle fibers in the muscles to a very partial degree so that they become more like the sinews, right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so to me, that is the aging process, right? So whether you use the elasticity primarily or you use the elasticity and the viscosity of the body, like Dowie starts versus like the Charlie Nuts, for example, right? So it doesn't matter because fundamentally it's the same aging process. So I fully agree that if on a physical level, if you're not operating in a way to maximize the aging principles in your body with whatever that is you that you do the way you do it, I wouldn't classify it personally as an internal art. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So how how do you mobilize those things though what what is the mechanism behind it because you say release but there must be well maybe it doesn't matter to you maybe it doesn't matter but what what is what is the thing that causes the outcome of release to be this transformation of the sinews and the and the tissues so this is exactly right so this is where the or does it not matter like, you can say it doesn't matter <laughs> no i mean it's, it's actually it's actually fairly simple really like um okay. so so to me, the genius within the Chinese systems is that they figured out how to release your body in a particular way where there's a causality chain yeah. that creates the right conditions. So okay. you release something to experience something else release as a result, yeah. and you experience it without any temporal distortion. It's immediate. And if that is working, then there are all a whole set of conditions that are confirmatory that fall into place. Cool. Okay. So within that framework, it creates the right conditions, in my experience, within those specific things. So this is why I generally train with the tradition that I've actually spent a lot of time in, in terms of training, 
um, which has a sequence of release formula, so to speak, that create the right kind of letting go, sure. mentally and physically, to create the right physical conditions rather than worrying about the physical conditions themselves. The sure. physical conditions do exist as confirmatory markers to know that you're in the right wheelhouse. Sure, okay. And what would be one clear confirmatory marker for people? Because you know that's what they're going to ask. <laughs> so it As depends on the it depends it depends on the it depends on the release formula, right? Yeah. So one of the things that I've actually shared with my mom for health reasons, mm -hmm. and this is something that was something that you do at the ground level. Yeah. And um, it has a lot of health benefits in my own personal experience and the experience of people I've shared it with. It's, it's very simple, right? It's basically, you know, you, you have your ischial tuberosity, which is your seed bones, right? Yes. Yeah. So, so you experience, you let go in such a way to maximize your experience of a hollowness emanating from your tailbone, from your seed bones, right? Ischial tuberosity. Yeah. In yeah. such a way that yeah. the musculature at, in your arch releases as if it was directly coupled with the tuberosity. So you're yes. not experiencing any progressive movement down the legs or anything like that. So in your mind, it's, a, it, it's a basically say like you merge the ischial tuberosity with the top of the arch, the musculature. And when you follow the ischial tuberosity, you experience release in the, um, in the musculature of the arch. And yeah. what it does is that and as in terms of confirmatory markers, it essentially does this, right? Like, so basically, if I do that, right? And when, once it happens, your spine straightens out like this, and you basically go into this, right? Sure. So this yeah. is not what they're trying to do, but this is a confirmatory marker. Sure. And there's a lot of mental transformation that happens during the process as well. So when you have the shape arise within the right constraints you know that you're doing you, your courses are correct sure yeah 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 but then... you're not recreating the effects but you're engaging yourself you're letting go in such a way that the the perception of the courses happening is maximized it reminds me in a way of the the release points uh in taiji that are used in order to generate the conditions yep. like ugn and stuff like this right yeah absolutely okay cool so same principle exactly the same principle Sure. Yeah. So um, it, it it makes it a it makes it a far more interesting art than turn your waist maintain yeah, center. Yeah. And you know the thing is that it 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 also because of the confirmatory elements are built in, when the shape and the power you generate is confirmatory of the right process. Yes. You know when you're wrong, right? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. If you fall flat on your face, you don't have to run around believing. Yeah. You don't have to run around believing you're doing the right thing. If either it happens or not, right? Sure. So this is kind of this is kind of partially, if not completely, the reason why you basically have these stories of people standing for like two years, because generally my teacher, for example, never told me the confirmatory conditions because he said if I tell you, you're going to mimic it whether you like it or not, right? Sure. So he would basically make me send him videos and he'd say, oh, okay, that's right, this is not correct, it's not moving in the right way because you're doing X, Y, and Z, so let that let that go, kind of thing, right? Sure. Yes. And then once you reach the right shape, you'll be like, okay, yeah, you got it. Okay, now you can discard that we're moving to the next one, right? So. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, that makes sense. 
So maybe just to sort of conclude this and wrap it up, there's one more thing I wanted to ask you about, if that was all right, mm -hmm. and not something that will get you in trouble. So it's all right. It's not very rare. <laughs> I saw there's a there's a video of you doing. Um, oh, maybe maybe would it be right if I cut some of your little clips of your videos and put it Go into it, this man. and then it. into this uh, podcast, or I get because I, I keep talking about things you're doing. Maybe it's easier I just put them in so people can see basically. But there's yeah, a, there's a video yeah. of you. There was a video I, I I was very fascinated by. If, well, first of all, for the location, you were doing a a form in a coffee shop. Uh, there's a video of you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know that one? Yeah, you know the one I mean. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It looks like you're in I a mean, queue. I know that one, but I know the particular one you might be referring to. Yeah, you were waiting in a queue for a coffee, I assume, or something. Yeah, you? you were yeah. doing yeah, video. That my first thought was that must be a right pain in the ass for the customers. But after that, I thought it was it was one of the clearest examples I've seen you demonstrate, or many people demonstrate, really, of the inner conditions producing the outside shape mm -hmm. of what was going on. So I kind of know what you're doing, but maybe you could explore. Obviously, you're you're using something to release, to create the conditions, to move through the sequence, right? So far, so good? Yep. So why yeah. is the why is the form produced in that shape, for example? Are you changing the conditions one at a time, or does each postural outcome create a new condition? Uh, so this is a really interesting one, right? So this is something that... I know I'm prying now. No, no, not at all. Like, this is something that I have been unable to share with a lot of people, right? Right. Is that, you know, in this oral tradition of this particular family branch, right? Yeah. The way they describe it is that the forms, and they're referring to only a subset of the forms, not all forms, right? They say the forms are the way they are because we are built the way we are, right? So the general idea is that there is a generative principle for each one of these so-called primordial forms, right? And when you're using the generative principle, when you're releasing according to that general principle, depending on where you start, a sequence of moments come out. Okay, yeah. And then it runs its course and then it starts repeating again. Right. Okay. So yeah. what I'm what I'm what I'm doing there is that I'm constantly running the same generative principle that gives rise to that entire sequence of movements. Sure. Are you allowed to discuss what that is, or is this a inner door thing? Um, I'm allowed to discuss what it is, but I don't know if that will help that much. Oh, I, like, I just uh, for interest for people. But if you don't want to, it's okay. It's fine. No, no, no. I, mean, I, I can, right? But it might not make much sense because um, so that particular one I was doing from memory was, I think, was the heaven frame or the frame neutral version, whichever that was. Yeah. So frame neutral is so the frame neutral version is easy. I'm just swinging, right? Right. Okay. But for the heaven frame, what you're doing is you're you're dispersing your yi on the plane yeah. of it's not quite the Kunlun point, but it was below, it's a little bit below that. Sure. And like, if you do it at the Kunlun point, what you get is very similar to Baba. Right. Okay. Yeah. Can you so, can you, um, you how you describe the Kunlun point? How you would define it? So the way I would define the Kunlun point is that I mean, you know, people like you know, basically people say it's like you know, three or four. Like you know, I mean, in Aboriginal traditions, in some traditions they use the word individuation point, right? Like they say it's like three or four. 
like feet about the about the crown. But the way I was taught that point was that they like it's like the goat point, right? It's like if you can okay, so to take a step back, right? You know, like people have an innate sense of where their presence is, right? Like say exam for example, if I ask you to point a finger at you, right? You might be do this, right? And yeah. some people point, right? And sometimes Japanese people like point here, right? Sure. Yeah. So so there's this innate sense of your presence within the body. Like you, if you ask them, like, are you here? They'll say no. Like they may not sometimes know where it is, but they might say like, are you here? But no, that doesn't sound right. But are you here? Yeah, I could say I'm here, right? That kind of thing, right? Okay. Yeah. So the process is that you, instead of your presence being within the body where it is, right? You situate your presence above the crown as high as you can situate it. Right? Yeah. until the separation between you and not you disappears. Okay. So that's yes. yep. so that's kind of the definition that I was given for the Kunun point mm-hmm. is that uh, it's the point where when you situate your presence there, the separation disappears. You Everything becomes one thing. Sure. Okay. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so the heaven frame is actually not quite there. It's a little bit below that. But um, yeah, so uh, like it's interesting that if you situate your presence all the way up there, what you get is very similar to the Bagua work that Yang Banho passed on, which is still interesting. Yes, that's quite different from um, raising your spine and spreading your back like a cobra. Yeah, it's a little bit different, right? <laughs> it's a little different. It's a little different. Yeah. So. And you know, like it's funny, right? Like you know, you know. I mean, the thing is that there's a lot of colloquial things in language yes. that makes a lot of sense, right? You know, like you know, like when you do this, right? Like you know, it yeah. looks very shifty. Like you're constantly trying to exploit someone else. Well, I feel uncomfortable. Yes. Yeah, that's what I mean, right? I mean, this is not what the art is about. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like, yeah. I get it. Like, like you know, if you if you look at Paul Ackerman's work on the micro expressions of the face and reading emotional state based on micro expressions. Like one of his, I think one of his PhD students, one of the, one of his research was really interesting was that he found that it to be bi-directional, right? Right. So not only do the, not only did the emotional state get reflected in micro expressions of the face, but electrically stimulating the facial muscles in that micro expression pattern would create that emotion in them. So it's a bi-directional street. So if you organize yourself to like operate like this constantly, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. what do you think that happened to your personality and psyche over time? Uh, I noticed that different different alignments. Uh, different teachers set me up in different conditions, and and some would make me very aggressive and very overt for sure, and and very extroverted. Which actually, at that stage in my training, wasn't the worst thing for me to bring me out of myself. <laughs> a but I can see how too much of that couldn't have been great. Yeah, you know, I mean, like shifty motherfuckers gravitating towards that structure that because that suits their personality is great, but don't oh. make it like, say that yeah, this is what Yang, the invincible, passed on down the generations for the Hoi Poloi to practice, right? Like, that's not what happened. Basically, you look like you're trying to sort of trick kids into joining your pickpocketing gang or something in Elizabethan. <laughs> exactly right. Shifty, yeah. <laughs> okay. That's exactly right. And, you know, like the funny thing is, like, you know, there's, a, I mean, I'm sure you're well aware of it, but there's a whole, Chinese tradition of face reading or posture yeah. reading, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's, that's legit in my experience. That's fully solid, you know? <laughs> Do you go so, as chronology? 
Sorry? Do you go as far as a phrenology, lumps on the head, or? I'm not even sure what phrenology is. Oh, it's when they, when they would, isn't it when they would diagnose you from lumps and bumps on the head and then they go, oh, you need to go to an asylum because you've got a bump on your head or something like that. All right. No, I haven't quite come across that. But, uh, but no, I've had some pretty profound things where like people, like some people have pointed out the way I walk that, you know, you, you need to go down, with, you need to go easy on this mental proclivity because it is okay. shifting your energy structure to shifting your body. Gun. Sure. That's a good diagnosis. It, like it's funny because one of the gentlemen, like it's so funny, he just said like you know, like I literally walked into the room and he says like you know you don't have to eat everything that you see outside because you know it's not gonna go to waste. Don't worry. Sure. <laughs> I'm like, oh, fuck you, man. Well, <laughs> <laughs> the other problem is like you know growing up in a like a traditional household where like you know wasting food was like blasphemy, right? Sure. Like yeah. it was like, oh, you know, there are, there are kids dying in God knows wherever without food, and you're wasting food. I'm like, you know, my eating is not actually going to make them better. Sure. But, you know, like uh, you grow up with that kind of shit, and then it becomes like a part of your normal repertoire until yeah. you learn to put some distance between your acquired mind and your true self to the extent you can start seeing these things, you know, like it's just. Yeah, yeah, totally. They're the kind of things I only tend to notice in myself when I go home or when I get back to my country, to the UK, not even to family home, but to my country. And and then I start to think, does the country bring those back out me or do I just see it in all the people around me? And it shows me how British I am. I can't figure out one or the other. Like we are all slaves to our experience, right? Like, I mean, not having our experience, experience of our like parents and grandparents and all this shit, right? Yes. So, I mean, I, I'm i better at putting some distance between my experience of myself and that, but I'm not perfect in any sense of the word. I mean, look at the way I'm dressed, for fuck's sake. <laughs> I, well, I'm, I'm happy you made an effort for the, for, the, for the chat, for the podcast, actually. Well, you can't blame me for not taking it seriously enough, right? I know. Yeah, completely. I feel underdressed. I've just got a T-shirt on. <laughs> I mean, I quite like your headgear, actually. I would love, love to see you do a podcast in your beautiful headgear. Yeah, actually, I'm not in my podcast studio. I'm in my, this is my, this is my lounge. Oh, so, fair enough. Yeah, just because um, 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 I haven't got Wi-Fi. I didn't realize I've set oh, up everything enough. in the podcast studio, including we now have, you know, proper equipment and everything. And once again, I'm on a dodgy mic because we have, I forgot to put Wi-Fi in the podcast studio, which is a bit of an oversight. That's quite important. Fair enough. I didn't realize until I turned on Zoom or tried to, then realized I couldn't actually speak to you. But never mind. So sorry about that. No, no worries, man. It's all good. And uh, um, yeah, I'd, I'd love to. Um, I'd love to um, see when this comes out because uh, I'm sure that uh, a lot of people would love, love to see me like this. So, you know. I'm sure they will. I'm sure the comments would be great. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll wrap it up there, Jerry. That was really good. Is there anything else you want to say? I think this has actually been, I, I think, not to blow my own trumpet, but I think I managed to pry out of you some definitions to some of the things you talk about that might be helpful to people. I think so. And, but... and I and I deny ever saying any of that <laughs> if someone asks me. <laughs> totally. And then, so is there anything else you want to add? Anything you want to conclude with? Or... No, no, no. It's, it's all good, man. I'm just going to go to the bedroom now and just working on working on my turning trick skills. So. <laughs> You have to get out in the streets, mate. Get out in the streets. 
<laughs> I know, but I have to look more like a sex doll before I do that. So I got to work on that. <laughs> you need brighter lipstick, I think. I know, right? I, I think I think it's this and this that is kind of like um, taking it off. I just need better quality lipstick. Do you know, out, out of everything there, the most shocking thing is your vaping. <laughs> that's that, What does that say about me, that that's the most shocking bit? <laughs> well, I mean, I could be drinking a coffee and you'll be equally shocked and <laughs> horrified. <so. laughs> no, I'm, I'm far from pure. The amount of shit we got for the uh, the cigar smoking on the, the podcast with Adam, I, it, it would be as if I was injecting heroin, I would say, from the, the views people have. <laughs> No, it's like really funny because one of the most spiritual elevated people I used to know used to be a chain smoker, right? And um, yeah. and someone who should know better denounced him at the very moment of mention because his view was that anyone who is spiritual elevated should not be smoking. Well, the thing is as well is is the problem is I also know who you're talking about and I know that they have various negative habits themselves that i think will would outweigh even a chain smoker not that I'm, I'm far from a chain smoker it's the occasional cigar every now but i think that person's habits are probably worse than a chain smoker's to be perfectly honest in some well way. i mean this is the thing right like i <laughs> i used to perceive this as somewhat nefarious but yeah. um you know a very smart person once has described to me like you know when people have their vices they're so familiar with it it doesn't seem like big things Sure. But when they see something in someone that they don't like in themselves or that they don't like in general, then it's such a big deal, right? Because yeah, you know, it is it is what it is, familiarity, right? So I, yeah, totally. And and I think uh I think yeah, people just need to loosen up. And in, and in many ways, one thing that's very impressive about yourself, and I and I mean this genuinely, I am impressed by it. Is your ability to not be phased by what people think. It's it's amazing that I see people when you you squabble with them online and they think you're upset. But I I, I know you, Joey, and I know that that's not the case actually, not at all. As I think you're evidencing by standing here like a two bit hooker <laughs> the last couple of hours on this podcast. It's a two bit hooker who's trying to make the life better by putting in effort. Okay, and, right. and that's sexual for you. Thank you. <laughs> totally. Whilst also discussing some some very detailed and insightful aspects of internal training. The contrast is amazing. <laughs> you know, like I was actually thinking about, like, you may not see it, but I'm actually wearing a beautiful skirt and like lovely shimmering leggings. Oh, are you? So I was actually doing the form right. in this outfit. Okay. But uh, it could be dark outside, so I don't think I can get proper lighting. So I'll leave that to another day. I think if you went outside now, you might get arrested. But that's a valid point well thank you very much Joey great to speak to you again absolute pleasure as always my friend take care and uh, look forward to to reading all the uh, various and detailed judgments that we'll get online I'm going to I'm going to write some of my own actually judging you under here but yeah sure now, I'll definitely catch up with you in uh, person over the winter period as well at some stage I'll cool, come, sounds good I mean, in, um, definitely January. You, I mean you know the dates you know where I'm you know the dates you know where I'm going to be so um, yeah sure yeah, yeah yeah love to have you there sure I'll catch you because I got, I got a few months off as well for a change which is weird so yeah I'll come find you cool that'll be awesome I mean like you know if, if nothing else I would help you waste that time in a little, little more entertaining way. 
totally. Yeah, we'll we'll dress up together. All right, mate. <laughs> that sounds great. Well, thank you very much, sir. Thank you, sir.